so apparently Governor Stitt is being uh, criticized for not having um, a more diverse cabinet. Wow, you don't say. Yeah, and it's kind of unfortunate. My feelings were a little bit hurt because I kind of felt like that, you know, the the whole you know identity politics is something that you know we're we're used to hearing about um, you know in mainstream media. It's something that we hear about at the federal level. It's something that we hear about God knows every single day. So I was a little disappointed when I heard that the um, the woke group of Oklahoma um, had arrived. So anywho, uh, so apparently one of the people that are that that's complaining about this uh, is House Minority Leader. Emily Virgin, okay, uh, who is a Democrat. She is um, one that believes that the governor's cabinet should be more representative. And uh, in her own words, she actually says that I think Governor Stitt has an opportunity to make sure all Oklahomans are represented in his cabinet. But now his cabinet is not reflective of the population. Now, might I add that in this particular article, they're saying that, you know, one-fifth of his cabinet members are women. No one is black. Um, Mind you, there's 15 members, three women, 12 men. Two of the cabinet members are Native American. None is African American. So here's my, uh, of course, they had to go into a census. They had to go into the census about male and female. They had to go into the percentage of people that live in Oklahoma who are white. They had to go into the fact that, you know, there's all these men on his cabinet. They're all, you know, have background in business and and all that good stuff. You know, Uh, what is it? I think it was Senator Young who went on to say that, uh, you know, he he does not... um, doesn't really like the fact that the governor has uh, said that he wants to run the state like a business um, and that he, you know, the state of Oklahoma is there to fulfill the needs and hopes of the citizens of Oklahoma. I get all the stuff that these people are saying. I get it. Do, um, you know, do I believe in diversity? Absolutely. But I think that what's happened with diversity is that that conversation has been taken completely out of context. Because when you're talking about, oh, I'm not seeing his cabinet being represented by all Oklahomans. Okay, well, I have an eight-year-old daughter. So should we go get an eight-year-old and put her on, you know, put her in, in his cabinet? Um, should we take maybe the 0.0.1 uh, Somalian population here and put a Somalian in his cabinet? Should we take an Indian and put an Indian in his cabinet? Should we take an African-American, if you can find an African-American Republican that isn't somehow a part of the establishment, uh, that will, you know, be a part of his cabinet? I don't know. The point that I'm trying to make is, is that, Uh, Just because of your gender, just because of your background, just because of your skin color does not qualify you to be a part of uh, a cabinet, does not qualify you for a job, does not qualify you for any job um, for that matter. And the problem in this nation is that we have gotten so uh, into the woke philosophy um, of who is qualified and who is not that now it's all about representing the people and it's not really about people that know what they're doing. And so while we want diversity which I think is important. I also think it's important that we have people that uh, are qualified for the job. You don't simply put people in because of their, because of their gender, okay, or because of their color, you know, or whatever you want to call it. Um, I was actually irritated that I guess the Black Caucus had to be contacted about this. I don't even understand that. Why was the Black Caucus even contacted about it? Like, oh, well, you know, then, then, then by all means, you know, does that mean that someone black should be placed in his cabinet because there's a percentage of black people here? Again, I continue to be amazed 
how the woke philosophy of identity politics continues to infiltrate every nook and cranny of this country, including little rural states like Oklahoma. It just amazes me. But I'm surprised it didn't come out of Tulsa. I'm surprised yeah, it came from the direction that it did, surprised. because we all know that Tulsa is the more of the hotbed of liberalism. Yeah. I'm so sorry, Tulsa, if I offend you, but I am just telling <laughs> you that is the truth. Yes. And so, again, we want diversity, but please, please, we are so sick, so sick and tired of identity politics when it comes to who is qualified and who is not. I believe that Governor Stitt started out on the right foot. We're going to continue to hope that he continues on that right foot, but criticizing his cabinet and criticizing the the, the, the the diversity. Might I add that the three women that are on his cabinet have actually made history by becoming the first female, females to serve in the roles of Secretary of Agriculture, Secretary of Science and Innovation, and Secretary of Native American Affairs. I would say that's pretty darn diverse yeah. right there alone. So again, don't think it has anything to do with your resume. But then again, we know how it is with the left. It's facts over feelings. It's, you know, I'm, I should be qualified because I'm not represented here. I believe that Governor Stitt will do that, and I believe that he will hear what Oklahomans have to say. And no, I don't believe that the government is about fulfilling your hopes and dreams. Sorry. Most definitely. Senator so. Young, but that's not what that's it. But <laughs> I will say Senator about. Young has a point when he says that um, government can't be run like a business because government is not a business. It's not. Business is a business, and government is government. And we shouldn't confuse the two, because if we do, we'll have tyranny. Good point. Good point. Some of you may not agree with that, but I think it's a good point. Well, think about it. Um, businesses, you know, they don't have to respect your freedom of speech. You know, mm -hmm. when you go to work, you have speech rules. You don't have a First Amendment at work. Mm -hmm. You can't say whatever you want. Mm -hmm. I, can't, I don't have a Second Amendment right at work. I can't take my gun to work. Mm -hmm. You know, just it's a business. Mm -hmm. It's not government. Mm-hmm. We have to keep them separate. But I get what he's saying. He's, he, the point Absolutely. he's trying to make is that he's trying to bring the efficiency of business in yes. that mindset that Trump yes. brings to the federal yes. government. And I believe he's that parts of that can so, be applied. Yes, but parts of it that can't can be applied in a, you know, yeah. in a, in a more so, blanket way. Yeah. I don't think he means all. Yeah. Not all, not all. All. Remember he used to say that? <laughs> not all, not all. Sorry. Anyways, moving on. Let's see. Oh, this is uh, also out of the state of Oklahoma. This one actually is uh, a little bit on the heartbreaking side just because, uh, you know, I grew up in these areas that they're referring to. They're talking about um, the, basically, um, you know, the meth crisis that has just really torn up uh, communities in southeast Oklahoma, and which is where I grew up. Uh, this is actually in Tallahena. And uh, they actually did... Uh, Where's that? Where's this, what's that story out of? This is out of, I believe, News OK. Oh, okay. And uh, it says that on September the 12th, a nine-month investigation led to the arrest of 21 people in Tallahena. Uh, they're accused of moving as much as five pounds of methamphetamine through southeast Oklahoma on a weekly basis. And I'd say that's pretty decent for, you know, a state yeah. as small as Oklahoma. Um but the story goes on to really talk about more, though, about the effects that it has had on families. Um, but I thought this part was interesting. I highlighted this part because I know that the border crisis is something that continues to come up. Um, a lot of I haven't heard a lot of people talk about this too much in the state of Oklahoma, uh, considering we are, you know, we are uh, close to the border. You know, our neighboring state, Texas. There's a lot of issues going on there. Um, but something that was said by OBN spokesman Mark 
Woodward was that the drugs keep coming in. So even after, this is even after, uh, they had a decline in meth labs because apparently there was an ingredient, there was an, an ingredient from an allergy medication um, I believe that they like got rid of. Um, anyways, but even with that and the decline, they keep saying that the drugs are they're still coming in. And so what Woodward is saying is that it's coming from Mexico and says about 95% of the meth is sourced out of Mexico as being moved around in the state of Oklahoma. And so he's talking about how it's not unique to southeastern Oklahoma. It's actually, you know, quite normal, um, particularly the rural areas of Oklahoma, which again is a place where I grew up. And I'm not going to say that um, I can't testify to what meth has done to people. I've had many friends that have been addicted to meth, um, many friends that are still addicted to meth. And so it's, it's, uh, it kind of hits home because you realize that it really is, I mean, it really is a crisis. And so I thought it was interesting that he referred to the Mexico part because again, this is something that we don't want to talk about yeah. when it comes to the border issue. The border directly affects. Exactly. A something lot of else states. that you may find interesting is that Sheriff Rob Seal actually told the Oklahoman that uh, apparently there was a state question 780 in 2016, which reclassified certain drug and property crimes as misdemeanors instead of felonies. And he's saying it did not help with the meth crisis at all. Yeah, I'm sure theft went through the roof. Yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm, absolutely. And so it's, um, again, I think it points to uh, situations in, in states like Oklahoma, where when you have this kind of a problem, this goes more back, to, I believe it goes back to the, the community. And I believe it goes back to the home. And I believe it goes back to the schools. And we're trying to use government. And we're trying to use law enforcement to uh, make it all go away. And it's not going to go away. Because as long as you have broken homes and as long as you have broken people and as long as you have a, uh, you know, an area that is just completely overrun with lawlessness as well, particularly even in our nation, you're going to continue to see that kind of behavior. But again, um, it's unfortunate, especially for Oklahomans. All right, we're going to move on. Um, I'm really like tongue twisted tonight i can't i can't <laughs> no talk. you're doing you're doing good it sounds good anyways um oh one of my favorites before i move on really quick we're going to move to this pretty quickly uh conservative activist this is from the dailywire.com conservative activists clean up 50 tons of garbage in yes. liberal los angeles media yes. silent now i don't know if any of you have been following this kid scott presler he is a trump supporter and he uh is the one that did the story they did the story on him out of baltimore where they went into was it west baltimore they went yeah. into i believe and they cleaned up tons of trash and they actually had people from the community who actually joined in and to help and removed i forgot how many tons of trash that they removed well he's been at it again and uh After they did that massive cleanup, they've actually done cleanups in Newark, New Jersey, Virginia Beach, um, and now Los Angeles. And I believe that they removed 50 tons of garbage in Los Angeles alone. They went down to Skid Row, and they got that 50 tons of garbage. They went right into the belly of the beast, some of the worst homeless hit areas in America. I'm surprised they went to Skid Row because, I mean, it's it's, um, it's not for the— for the faint of heart. Yeah, they met with that that pastor. I don't know if you remember the documentary we watched where they had the pastor that that has a church right in the middle of Skid Row, and he lost his leg. 
he got an infection. He was cleaning up out there. This shows you how dangerous some of that trash is. Yeah. He was helping a homeless person and he fell on some trash and somehow he cut his leg and it got infected. He ended up losing his leg mm, because wow. of the the biohazards that are in that that's in that trash. So when wow. they're talking about 50 tons of trash, they're talking about these people had to suit up in yeah. full hazmat suits. Yeah, they they had to get training. They had to, you know, have professionals out there showing them how to do it. Yeah. Because, I mean, they're navigating with needles. They're dealing with typhus and all these other diseases. I mean, it's, it's dealing pretty. dealing with feces. Yeah. They're dealing it's with a, bodily it's a, fluids. Yeah. It's a pretty significant thing they did. So, as significant as it is, um, apparently the mainstream media was not interested no. uh, in any of Imagine the efforts that. of this group or, or Scott Presler for that, mu- for that matter. Uh, so basically went on to say that, you know, um, he actually said this um, in an interview and said national media has been completely silent. Yet the day before our cleanup, the L.A. Times reported on the climate strike. I am not a climate striker. I am a client climate doer. Perhaps if the L.A. Times reported more stories on real activism, we would see more cleanups and fewer protests. Now, mind you, the L.A. Times actually recently begged for such a cleanup effort (laughs) and uh, didn't really have much to say when somebody actually showed up to do it. So that just goes to show that while there's the D.C. protests that are going on, which which includes men twerking and throwing confetti around and stopping people from being able to get to work or get home or get to get along their day, that's... These people are actually cleaning up uh, in in areas where it's a biohazard and they get no love for that whatsoever. So if that tells you uh, who the left supports with when it comes to climate change, there you go. Um, we're going to move on really quick to this pertains to uh, something that's interesting, especially because we are rolling up on 2020 very soon. Yeah. Uh, this actually is from CBN News. It says 15 million Christians aren't registered to vote. Wow. And they are apparently trying to uh, kind of see if they can remedy that by hosting a uh, voter registration Sunday kind of a deal. Now, I'm not really sure. I'll put it to you this way. I'm not really sure kind of um, where these numbers come from. And I would not consider all of the Christians that are involved in these numbers like 15 million or 90 million or 40 million to be Christians that are actually Christians. Because some of these people uh, I are evangelical, but I don't consider that to mean anything anymore. Anyways, but I'm not really sure about that. But the goal is to get Christians across America more engaged in the political process. It says that 90 million Christians in America are eligible to vote, but as many as 40 million fail to vote in presidential election cycles. And that 15 million are not even registered to vote. So I think the point of this story is... Christians seem to, there are some Christians, because I talk to them all the time, seem to be under the impression You talk that, to them, you don't argue, with, they don't argue with, at you, <laughs> and tell you that you shouldn't be in politics and you shouldn't say political things and we well, should just sit in the back and just let stuff happen to us. Yes, unfortunately, that has also been said. And uh, I, we've actually been told that quite a bit by Christians. You're doing the devil's work. Uh, you know, you're getting off. 
you know, the church, I've been told many times the church does not belong in politics. Um, well, I encourage you to read the Bible because Jesus knew exactly what was going on in the political realm while he walked the earth, or else he wouldn't have said some of the things that he said, and he wouldn't have addressed um, the government even the way that he did. And so all I'm going to say about that is this. If, you, if, if we have power in those kind of numbers, regardless if I agree with the numbers or not, if there's power in those numbers, then why are we not utilizing that? Exactly. And what gets me is that Christians are some of the people that complain the most about what is happening in the nation. Yes. They've got their Bible open. We're all talking about who needs to be doing what. This person is is doing this. This person is corrupt. We can talk Why about it all we, we want. Godly people here. But we don't have any there. yeah, we don't have any idea what's happening though in the nation. We don't have any idea what's happening in the state. We don't have any idea what's happening in a, in a, in a person's city. We're completely unaware of what's happening. Just blindsiding and reacting yeah. to everything. Yeah, basically. And it's no wonder that liberal media is even able to manipulate as many Christians as they do because Christians are not aware, number one, of what's even happening outside of CNN, outside of you know MSNBC, completely unaware as to what's happening outside of that. And so I think it's important for Christians in 2020 to get discernment and get it fast and find out where your part is. Because the bottom line is, is that if you haven't figured it out by now, this is not about Donald Trump. This is not about the president. And if anything, the left has uh, really pulled off the veil and shown us what this is really about. And so I encourage you, we will be talking about this more. Um, if you don't like to talk about Christians, if you don't like to talk about God, then... You're probably not going to like a lot of stuff, I say. <laughs> so anyways, uh, the last one, and I want you to particularly, particularly I am going to talk to today. Uh, I, I particularly want you to hear this one because this is actually from the Christian Post, and this is talking about Google. You guys know that big tech is, or tech giants or whatever you want to call it, is being um, scrutinized right now, particularly uh, Twitter, Google, Facebook. I'm sure there's going to be a few others, but uh, what this is talking about is a former Google employee that was actually um, uh, talking about how Google was basically blacklisting um, yeah. uh, certain sites. And so it says, a former Google employee has gone public with claims of election manipulation, intimidation, and political bias at the hands of the tech giant including the blacklisting of certain websites, including Christian Post. A lot of you are familiar with Christian Post, and you, and you do post on social media from their site. But it says on Wednesday, investigative journalism group Project Veritas released an interview in which whistleblower Zachary Voorhees, I do not know if I'm pronouncing your name right. Yeah, you are. Is it? Okay. Reveals he's delivered roughly 950 pages of documents to the Department of Justice Antitrust Division, uh, demonstrating that Google manipulated its algorithms in a way that that biased its search engine against conservative media, Christian media, nonprofit groups, and Republicans. I believe this. Uh, it says that he was an employee there for eight years. So mind you, this is eight years. This is not like this guy just started working there yeah. last year. That's a long time to be able to see things with your two eyes and be able to collect that kind yeah. of information and to know for sure that this was really happening. He said he decided to come forward after realizing something dark and nefarious was going on at the company. Um, 
He actually said, I realized that they were going, they were not only going to tamper with the elections, but use that tampering with the elections to essentially overthrow the United States. Now, uh, the documents that he released included, this was included in the 950 pages that he did release. Um, it, it included a news blacklist site for Google Now, which basically um, restrict, it brings restrictions to these sites. Mm-hmm. And that included, you know, websites like the Christian Post, Newsbusters, Life News. A lot of you are familiar with that, Pathios. A lot of you are familiar with that and Glenn Beck. Um, but there were hundreds of others that were also that were being blacklisted as well. And it says, according to the document, some sites are listed because of a high user block rate. That sounds that should sound familiar to some of you guys. So in conclusion with this, um, he's basically saying that, you know, Google has very clear political bias. Yes. But he's saying that on one hand, they're saying that, you know, they're a platform and that they are immune from being sued for the content they host on their websites. But on the other hand, they're acting as they're acting as a publisher in which they are deterring the editorial agenda of these certain companies. Um, they're applying that. It says if people don't fall in line with their editorial agenda, their news articles get deranked. That should sound familiar as well. And so this is exactly, uh, you guys, what Facebook is trying to do. Facebook is also trying to now, you know, use the word like, you know, publisher and publishing and things like that. And they're trying to shift the narrative and say, well, we have the right to to do this. We have the right to blacklist people. We have the right to basically control uh, control um, media in a way. Um, I don't know if any of you guys are familiar with this, but we actually did it. And this is where um, James O'Keefe kind of did the did the example where he typed in the words like men can, women can, and it brought up things like men can have babies, men can get pregnant, men can have periods. And then when you put in women can, it would put women can vote, women can do anything, women can be drafted. We actually did that. Yeah. And that is exactly the way that it got pulled up. And so there's, there's a couple of other little things that we did on Google that I believe also proved that, um, I mean, my gosh, when Hillary Clinton you know, had to be carried back to that van and lost her shoe. I'm not even joking, you guys. We Googled her name after that happened, and you could not find a single picture of Hillary Clinton that was not beyond 1990. Yeah. I mean, it was like every single picture of her, she looked young, she was taught. You couldn't find a single picture of her that made her look old. I mean, I thought I was was going crazy when I saw that. But this, this this is the level... That they're doing this, and I think that it, it, I think it's concerning, and I think that people need to pay attention to it. Many of you, including our our site, but many of you that have platforms, uh, we've talked to many of you guys that are, you know, you're being uh, stifled, you know, on social media, and um, not just, you know, not not just Facebook, but Twitter, uh, and even YouTube. And so I think it's important that we pay attention to this and we start to figure out what's going to be the next strategy. And so, anywho. Pay attention to, continue to pay attention to what's going on with Google. So, yeah. Anywho, so that is all that I have for right now, you guys. Let us know what you think of these stories. And I promise you on the next show, I am going to be able to talk better. (laughs) Until next time, guys. Y'all take care.